Good morning, everyone. One of the things that I was thinking about this week as I was preparing is uh, just the hope that as we go through Paul's letter that we're capturing the emotion that I believe was intended to be felt as he wrote this letter. If you'll remember, he's in prison in Rome writing to people that he has a long history with. In fact, I think some of his deepest relationships because of the time he spent with the, the people in this church are in Ephesus. And so he is longing for them to experience all that God has made possible. He wants them to be a people who put the gospel on display. And one of the things that we need to understand as we continue to go through this together is that everything that Paul has to say to these people who meant so much to him applies to you and I as well. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. God held nothing back. We know from what we've understood and read together that we've been chosen by the Father and made holy and blameless in His sight. We've been saved by the Son, and His grace has been lavished upon us. We have been sealed in the Spirit. And it is the promise of God that we are protected until that day of redemption. The security of our salvation is in God's promise, not our performance. Because even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You've been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and not by works. In fact, you are his workmanship created for good works that he placed ahead of time so that you can walk in them. You're a new creation in Christ. Old things have gone. New things have come. And not only are you a new creation, you are a part of a, a new humanity, a, a people of God, which we know to be the church. See, Jesus restored the unity that was broken by sin when he died on the cross. And he made, he took down that dividing wall so that there's no longer Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. We are called to protect the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We are called to put the redemptive work of the gospel on display. The church is designed to display the manifold wisdom of God. And within the body of Christ, including this body of Christ, we all have a part to play. God has fit us together so that each person contributes to the growth of the body. We are all equipped to serve in some way, helping each other grow in the knowledge of the truth strengthening one another in that shared experience of, of God's love. And because of all that God has done, we want to lay aside the old self, let go of those empty pursuits and selfish attempts to be fulfilled apart from Christ. Instead, we want to put on a new self. We want to wear that divine wardrobe that God has given us so that we live a lifestyle that puts the goodness of God on display. A soul-satisfying fulfillment within the boundaries of God's design. 
As you hear that, I hope you understand that these are the reasons that as Paul is writing this out, you know he's feeling the the passion and emotion, so much so that he has to pause at least twice in the letter so far and just stop and pray. Lord, may what we know to be true be experienced in the life of these people I love so dearly. In fact, don't turn there. I just want you to listen with that context in mind, the prayer that we've already walked through in Ephesians, in chapter 3, verse 14, just listen to Paul's heart. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives his name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with the power of his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think, According to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Do you hear the passion that Paul had as he wrote those words for the people that he loved so much? I think I understand it. Because I feel the very same thing every single week. See, Paul didn't want the Ephesians to receive that letter, read it, lay it aside, and then carry on as life was normal. (laughs) He wanted them to be changed by the power of God's truth in their lives. He wanted the people he loved to live out of the blessing of all that God has made possible. And so do I. I long for that every single week. But like Paul, I have no power in and of myself to make a meaningful difference in your life. I can preach, I can pray, but I cannot accomplish the one thing that my heart longs for most. I can lay it out every Sunday, but you have to do something with what you hear. You must respond to the work of the Spirit in your life for your life to be changed. Which is why I think Paul begins this section of his letter, as we will look at this morning, with the words, be very careful how you walk. Reading and and listening to God's truth is so important. But it's not as important as being changed by what you hear. It's not important as important as what it looks like when you walk out those doors. So be very careful how you walk so that your life is impacted by what you hear. Let's pray that the Spirit of God would have His way this morning. Father, as I consider the passion that I believe Paul had when he wrote this letter, I I think I get a glimpse of it. 
fact, I get a glimpse of it every Sunday. When I look out at people I love and have the same desire, that their lives would be transformed by truth. That your spirit at work in their hearts would draw them close. Would give them comfort in times of need. Would give them strength in times of weakness. Give them hope in times of disappointment. So as we look at your word this morning, and your grace and kindness and mercy, would you accomplish those things? Even as I hear the, the rain outside, it reminds me of your grace that has been rained down on us. May we be changed because of it. I pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, turn to chapter 5, verse 15. I had none of that planned this morning. Goodness gracious. All right, chapter 5, verse 15. Let's look at that together. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. As we've already seen in Paul's letter so far, he often tries to make his point by comparison, by contrasting two things, and that's what he's doing in these verses this morning. He's comparing wisdom and folly. He's looking at what it means to be a a good steward of all that you've been given and to be foolish with the blessings that have been provided. And he's going to contrast those two so that we have a a picture of what it looks like to walk carefully before the Lord. Now, he's going to emphasize the things about what it means to be wise. Because he's really already covered many of the topics related to foolishness and decisions that would describe someone who's not being a good steward. Last week, we talked about some of those things. Things like immorality, impurity, greed, filthy talk course jesting. He's told us not to to live that kind of a lifestyle and don't even make light of it because of the great judgment and wrath that comes for those who live a lifestyle of unrepentant sin. Instead, we are to be wise in how we walk because there's a lot at stake. And, And then Paul will qualify in our passage what that Heart of wisdom has in mind. In verse 16 it says, Make the most of your time because the days are evil. Well, what days? (laughs) What exactly is he referring to here? We know that the days in which the Ephesians lived were in fact evil. We've discussed all the pagan worship that took place, the, the magic, the sorcery. There was a very dark presence among those people. But we also know that there's been a lot that's happened since that time as well. What about the Holocaust? What about the 11 million Jews who were systematically murdered? What about 9-11? When 3,000 people needlessly died because of a terrorist attack. What exactly are the evil days that Paul has in mind? And my answer is this, all of them. 
All of them. Because Paul is looking at this from a biblical perspective. And from a biblical perspective, there's really only two eras remaining in in God's plan of salvation. The first one is this present evil age. The second is the age to come. That's the way the Bible will categorize those. The present evil age is the one in which we live in now. The one in which sin reigns. A time in the world that is under the influence of an enemy. And that enemy is Satan. And he will use the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the sinful pride of life to distract us from the transforming truth of God's word. He will seek to convince us, as we've been talking about, that there's something better outside of God's design. That was his ploy in the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, and he's continuing to make that plea even today. This present evil age is evil because it's controlled by Satan, who is evil. But there is a coming age, an age when Christ will return and Satan will be defeated and sin will no longer reign. When Christ returns, he will make all things right. And in that final day, there will be no more mourning. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more pain. But there will also be no more opportunity to turn to Christ in faith. The final judgment and eternal destiny for all mankind will be determined. And only those who trust in Christ will be saved eternally to live with him. And those who believe the enemy will share in his eternal punishment. Now do you understand what Paul is saying? Make the most of your time. In this present evil age. Because when it's complete, there are no second chances. (laughs) So don't be foolish and ignore the will of God. Instead, be wise. Align your life with God's good purposes in this world in which we live. Be wise and and see beyond the limits of your own life, your own pleasures, your own pursuits. Instead, join with all the saints who've been transferred out of the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of light. Proclaim the excellencies of the one who has accomplished that through Jesus Christ. Don't blend in. Be a light. And let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Be wise and make the most of your time. Look at how it continues in verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for this is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. It's important for us to understand that we cannot walk in a wise way in an evil world apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. Paul will again make a contrast to help make his point. 
And I suspect that drunkenness and dissipation, as they call it in this passage, was just as common for them as it is for today, and the reasons are the same, very likely. It's a way to escape, to either dull the pain of something that we're struggling with or to, in some way, remove inhibitions. But it's the very opposite of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And before we think through that and understand what that contrast is all about, I think it's important to clarify what it means to be filled with the Spirit. You remember back in chapter 1, verse 3, as Paul is listing out the spiritual blessings that we have all received, one of the things that he said is, when you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. So in that moment that you believed, you had all of the Holy Spirit. There's no second blessing. There's no increasing supply based on good works. In the moment you believed, all of the Spirit of God was at work in your life. Being filled with the Spirit means the Spirit has all of you. You have all of the Spirit. The question is, does the Spirit have all of you? It means that we don't grieve the Spirit by going our own way. Being filled with the Spirit means your life is surrendered to walking into the the will of God. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. So like someone who has behaviors that are dictated by the influence of alcohol, those who are filled with the Spirit walk by the powerful influence of the presence of God indwelling their life. That's what it means to be filled with with the Spirit. So if we look at that contrast now, we can see what Paul is trying to say. See, those under the influence of alcohol often say things that they later regret, right? They lack self-control. Their judgment is impaired. But those who are filled by the Spirit do just the opposite. As we've already learned in Paul's letter, they know just the right word at just the right time to give grace to those who hear. Look at verse 18 again. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Don't get caught up in the difference between, well, what are the songs and what are the hymns and spiritual songs? What what is the difference there? Don't get caught up in that. Here's what you need to understand. Spirit-filled people speak life-giving words. Okay? Spirit-filled people speak life-giving words. Remember, the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. And spirit-filled person has a heart that is filled with worship. It's just what comes out. These are the people you want to be around because you know that they have been with Jesus. They don't try to impress you with how much they know. They simply want you to know how much they care. And more than that, They want you to know how much God cares. And so these are the people who speak truth in the midst of hurt and pain. They speak hope in the midst of disappointment. They turn your heart to the Lord because that's where you find grace and mercy in times of need. Spirit-filled people speak life-giving words by pointing you to Jesus Christ. And they know the way because that's where they go to. Look at how he continues in verse 20. Always giving thanks for all things 
in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. So another attribute of spirit-filled people is they have a thankful heart. They have this uncanny ability to to see the bright side of things that, that are happening. Despite circumstances, look, it says, always giving thanks in all things. So there's this continual heart of gratitude in the midst of all kinds of situations. But let me clarify here as well. This doesn't mean that they rejoice in terrible tragedies or evil events. They don't look for the good side of someone being hit by a car or dying of cancer. These are not eternal optimists. Because that's not realistic, nor is it healthy. Instead, these are people who find hope in the midst of pain. A spirit-filled person is thankful for God's promises in the midst of great loss. They question. They may even doubt. But they always run to Jesus. Because they know. He alone is our rock and our salvation. And in Him, we will not be greatly shaken. In the, heart, in the end, their heart gives thanks because they believe that's true. They know that God works all things for the good of those who love Him and for those who are called to His purposes. They have the wisdom to understand that we live in a sin-cursed world. This is the present evil age, but there is a time when Jesus returns and He will make all things right. That's a promise. Spirit-filled people have a heart that is filled with worship, have a mouth that is filled with praise, and have hands that are willing to serve. Look at verse 21. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Paul has already tried to explain to us how these people live when they live a spirit-filled life, and he's told us they're not brash, They're not assertive or self-promoting. They're not trying to gain influence by getting credit for things that are being done. They have a humble heart that is willing to serve, not be served. And all this flows out of a heart that is surrendered to Christ. When Jesus rules your life, there is no inhibition to serve, whether it's your job or not. Right, let me give you an example, and this is one that's familiar to all of us. Think back to when Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Let me ask you, first of all, was that his job? He was the last person on the face of the earth that should have girded himself with a towel that day. But he did. Why? Because he was filled with the Spirit. I mean, he had the authority to heal disease, to forgive sins, to raise the dead back to life he is before all things and in him all things hold together judging strictly by his authority he would have been the last person who should have taken up the towel that day but again jesus was filled with the spirit which means he was willing to serve even if it wasn't his job in the fear of christ in following his example We should do the very same thing. In the next few passages, as we continue to work through Ephesians, we're going to see Paul speak to relationships, the marriage relationship, the the family relationship, the working relationship. And when he does, 
He will explain that within these relationships, there are God-ordained roles and places of authority. And those roles are not tended to be reciprocated. For example, uh, husbands should be the spiritual leader of the home. And, and that doesn't mean that they should do it sometime and then passively subordinate themselves at other times by letting their wife take over when they get tired. It doesn't say that. It says, husbands, be the spiritual leader of your home. But having authority doesn't prohibit serving. In fact, it promotes it. Because what does he say as he continues in that thought? He says, Later in chapter 5, after saying husbands are the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, he says, husbands, love your wife as Christ has loved the church and has laid down his life for her. So no matter what your role or responsibility may be within the body of Christ, we are all here to serve. If we've surrendered our heart to Christ, we submit to one another with a heart of humble service. Spirit-filled people are not brash, assertive, or self-promoting. They're not trying to gain influence or get credit for things that are being done. They have a humble heart that doesn't seek to be served, but to serve. Their heart is filled with worship. Their mouth speaks praise. Their hands are willing to serve, making the most of the time because the days are evil. When Christ returns... There are no second chances. And here's something that we know today, okay? I don't know the day and when Christ returns. Only God knows. But the day is set. So here's what we do know. Today, we are one day closer to Christ's return. So make the most of your time. As we think about what Paul has walked us through this morning, let's consider together how our lives can be impacted by what we've just heard to take the truths of this passage and somehow apply them to our life. I'm going to give you some examples, and I want you to consider uh, applying them this week. The first is this. Be intentional about speaking words of life to those around you. Be intentional about speaking words of life to those around you. And let me encourage you, don't make it up on the fly, okay? (laughs) Let it be an outflow of your time before the Lord as you pray for people you care about. And here's an encouragement to consider. The passage that we read in in Ephesians chapter 3, take a passage like that one, or write this one down, Colossians 1, verses 9 through 14. And here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want you to take that passage of Scripture and insert a person's name that you want to pray for, okay? So I'm going to pray for Jason Martin this morning. And this is what that prayer might look like. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name, that he would grant Jason, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with the power of his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in Jason's heart through faith. And that Jason, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints, What is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth? And to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that Jason may be filled to all the fullness of God. And then encourage somebody out of the promises that you've been praying for them. You see the difference? So maybe that's how you would speak words of life to someone this week. Here's another example of something you might do. 
consider what it looks like to cultivate a thankful heart. I've heard several examples of the way people do this. Some keep a journal. And in that journal, they just list on a routine basis the things that they are grateful for that God has blessed them in their life. It's a Thanksgiving journal, okay? As a family, you might sit down at a meal, and one of the questions you might ask is, hey, let's talk about something that you're thankful for this week. What might that be? And just have a conversation about things you're thankful for. In a small group, here's something you might consider. As you're taking prayer requests, make this requirement. For every one request, we give two things that we're thankful for. And our prayer time will be grateful and prayerful of all of them. One more thing. I've told you this before because it's my favorite place to go. And that's the Psalms. So... To cultivate a thankful heart, the Psalms is a good place, but there's one in particular that will just make your heart sing, okay? Psalm 145. So maybe this week, that's what you do. Spend some time in Psalm 145 and see what it looks like as David writes this song. See what it looks like to have a thankful heart. Speak words of life. Cultivate a thankful heart. And then finally, look for opportunities to serve. You heard one this morning already. (laughs) This summer, we need people to pitch in for a week, for a month, for three months to give those teachers who've been active in serving in that ministry over the last two semesters a little bit of time to uh, step away. And we would sure love to have people volunteer to step in during that time. You know, in business, we had a rule. You've heard it before. It's very common. It's the 80-20 rule. It's where 80% of the work gets done by 20% of the people, and really, most of the time, it's the same 20%, right? (laughs) We we all know and experience that reality, but here's something I want you to hear very, very clearly. The church of Jesus Christ should be a place where that rule never, ever applies, ever. Every single one of us has been equipped and called to serve. Nobody's here to be served. We're all here to serve. There's nothing that happens in ministry that is not your job. Okay? And if the day is drawing near and we live in this present evil age, then we need all hands on deck. This is not a cruise ship. This is a battleship. And we have a mission to fulfill. And we need all hands on deck. So regardless of your role, your gifting, your position of authority, It doesn't matter. We're all here to serve. So my prayer is this, that we would be a church family that is filled with people who are filled with the Spirit, whose hearts are filled with worship, whose mouths are filled with praise, whose hands are willing to serve. Maybe this week you can pray for the same. Let's do that together right now. Father, as we come before you and think about what we're called to, and even reminded this morning through Paul, I hope with a healthy sense of urgency that we live in a present evil age and we want to make the most of the time that we have, knowing that today we are one day closer to your return. And so may we live lives in a lifestyle that puts the gospel on display, that that displays the goodness of living within your design, the the hope and the, the, the truth that we have.
because we spend time with you. You are our rock and our salvation, our stronghold. And in you, we will not be greatly shaken. And may that be revealed in our life day after day. And yet, Father, we know that because we live in this sin-cursed world, there are times that we struggle. There are times that we doubt. There are times that we question. And you created us to live in community because you knew that in those times, we need each other. To speak words of life. To show us the promises that give us hope in the midst of pain. To be a people that are set apart, whose life shine brightly with the good works that you've prepared beforehand so that we may walk in them, and then when asked about it, we can give praise and glory to the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ, our Savior. And it's in his holy and precious name that we pray.